Welcome to the BG Podcast, conversations at the intersection of business, community, and public policy from the Austin metro and around Texas. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com slash podcast and on iTunes and Google Play. Hello, this is AJ Bingham, CEO of Bingham Group. Our guest today is John Rosado, a principal of Southwest Strategies Group based here in Austin, Texas. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, thank you, AJ. Well, glad to be here. I'm glad to have you on. I know you're a busy man. Um, our topic for today is public-private public private partnerships, or P3s, and the reason we wanted to uh, bring on the show, John, is we know you've, you and your firm have had extensive um, uh, experience in this area, um, particularly where they, with the building we're in now, the development we're in now, the Seahome District, and we wanted to just bring in the show to talk about that process, the P3, P3 process in dealing with the city of Austin and through the lens of your work with the Seahome District. Okay. And so with that though, before we get to that, I want to just get hear from you about some of your background, your extensive background in building some of the, a lot of uh, properties here in Austin. Well, thanks. And yeah, we've we've been doing development in Austin. Uh, uh, Danny Roth and myself are business partners in Southwest Strategies Group, and we've been in Austin since 1980 or so, uh, doing uh, development mainly of inner city redevelopment work. We some of the larger projects are the Grove. Uh, I mean, the Grove Drug Building is one of the oldest. It was built in 1872 and it's on 6th Street, and we uh, purchased that and repositioned it as office and retail. And uh, another one is Penn Field, which is 217,000 square foot mixed-use development on Congress by Ben White. It used to be a uh, Army Air Corps training facility in World War I. Uh, then it was manufacturing, and then we purchased it. It had been empty for about four years, and we repositioned it. And then, yeah, obviously, Seahome is another project that people are aware of uh, that we worked on from 2004 to time we sold it in 2016. I got it. So what was that process? Oh, pulling back, we mentioned the Grove. I thought you were talking about the most recent, the Grove, yeah. the other Grove. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. 34, 33, like, God bless you. I know that was, no, that's no. a long process. No, that was, no, this, this Grove is, a, it's one of my favorites because it's a really cool old building in Austin on 6th Street off of uh, Catacorner from uh, the Driscoll. Mm-hmm. So just with P3s, I mean, beyond Seahole, what has been your experience with that working with the city of, the city of Austin? And maybe also just in the span of your career here, you know, you've seen now we're in the 10-1 system, so just what was it like? working with the city prior to that probably a lot easier yeah although it was although it was very difficult i i i think the 10-1 system has had some challenges uh and i'm sure that's going to get worked out but yeah, development and repositioning properties and doing site plan development in austin has always been a challenge I think the city tries really hard to make sure that development is appropriate in the city. And they certainly have done a really good job in downtown. All of the things that you see here with the you know, 17-foot wide sidewalks and street, street side cafes and you know, retail and ground floor of parking structures, I mean, those are all uh, initiatives that city economic development kind of pushed through. And I think it's really good, ultimately. Uh, we're currently working 
on an interesting project that's east of I-35, uh, the Rebecca Mains Johnson Center. The RBJ. Uh, RBJ. They had 17 acres there, which we've master planned and ha are beginning to do a mixed-use development there. Now, that one <clears throat> didn't have any uh, city participation. Seahome had a lot of city participation, but it still had a lot of challenges with heritage trees and um, setbacks from Town Lake and neighborhood compatibility issues. But mm -hmm. there's, uh, there's a lot that goes into trying to do developments in Austin. Yeah, let's say the heritage trees mean for those who are looking <clears throat> to develop in Austin who haven't before. Uh, trees are definitely a <laughs> trees neighborhoods are, go, are kind of the right. probably two of the strongest lobbies uh, at City Hall here. So coming back to City Hall, so what was that process like? So you know, the city, he's walk us through and yeah, you know, five thousand foot view yeah. look yeah. of that, the steps. I can get twelve years into a couple of minutes. <laughs> um, you know, basically the city really this is the first effort the city had to save to go into a public-private venture in order to save a iconic historic structure, and that's the power plant. Uh, they haven't done that before, and they haven't done it since. Uh, but the city knew that they wanted to save the power plant, but they didn't want to develop it or be responsible for it. And so they went out for RFP for companies. We applied, went through an 18-month uh, public process, and we were finally selected what uh, to move forward. What was the process? What was that? Just was it just an RFP request for procurement? You lay out, they have, the city will lay out a list of criteria they're looking for, past experience, right. and so on. And then there was a public process related to that too. Yes, I mean the the RFQ, which was request for qualifications, was also a request for proposals. So they wanted to they wanted to see the qualifications of the team, and but then they wanted to get the team's ideas about how they would redevelop Sea Home in the seven acres around it, and. Um, so they went through that process, and in the meantime, there was a lot. We went to public hearings at various commissions and neighborhood groups, and, and uh, it was it was a very extensive process. Um, they actually did a year-long process, then there was a little bit of a glitch in it, and so then they closed that RFP, reopened it for another six months, and so it turned out to be a year-and-a-half process. Uh, we, in doing our proposal, we had to keep in mind some requirements, which is they wanted the power plant to, you know, not be lost in the project, and so they wanted to make sure that um, it was redeveloped in such a way that preserved its original nature as a power plant. Um, and the stacks, retaining the stacks is a real important part of that. Uh, the other kind of qualification was that, or limitation, was the Capital View Corridor, which is something else that people haven't been here, developed here, might not know about. Uh, but that's views of the dome of the Capitol, and it's 28 view corridors in the city of Austin that kind of go out like fingers from the top of the Capitol, and they're at various eleva elevations and, and various directions. And one of the view corridors cuts over. Uh, half of the Seahome site. It happens to be the half that has a two-story uh, retail building because we can't, couldn't build any higher than two stories else mm -hmm. we would about block the uh, Capitol View. Got you. So with that process, and you all secured the RFP, or the, the right to develop, to develop the district, and then from there, what, you know, what was like, 
the relationship with the city in that part? I mean, it's always a relationship, but what, what, what was the next stage of that relationship? Well, I mean, it, you know, uh, it took three years to develop the master development agreement because, again, the city had never done anything like this, and it was, it was a fairly, fairly long and arduous process with a whole lot of attorneys. Uh, but in the meantime, the city had to um, do environmental cleanup of the power plant and the land around it. And so that uh, took the city $13 million in three years to do. And so we were kind of in a, in a holding pattern anyway until they got that complete. Uh, the power plant had the first ready-for-reuse certificate issued by the EPA in this area. And that was, uh, you know, a typical brownfield site that has some, economic, uh, some environmental impacts. If you go through the process with the federal government, then you get a ready for reuse certificate, which gives lenders a certain amount of comfort that the site is clean or clean enough for the uses that you have. Um, we went through a number of different iterations of the, of the plan, what types of uses we would have here, uh, and mainly because we were working through, as we were working through the development process, the market was changing. What was happening downtown was changing, and what the demand was was changing. Uh, we didn't start out with a 270 uh, you know, condo tower here. We started out something smaller that was going to be a hotel, and then it just turned into the tower because of the market. John, real quick, too, maybe just for folks who aren't familiar with Austin or where we're at, the Sea Home district is an anchors uh, second street which is itself another relatively new commercial district in austin commercial and retail or commercial retail um and it borders Santa chavez which is one of the kind of main thoroughfares going east west in the city um we border the brand relatively brand new central library as well as what will be google's new downtown tower in austin so it see home itself is a very prominent part of the city that's growing um, and, you know, John and I's office is actually uh, on one of the kind of the office parts of the, the building. It's mainly Seaholm Tower is a, is a residential tower, as John was alluding to. Right. Um, and Seaholm, and the power plant in our development really became kind of the core of the Seaholm district. Um, they, uh, but there were a lot of other, obviously there have been a lot of other development that has built up around us. And the, the city power, the city water treatment plant got converted to four different uh, large commercial tracks. And so everything has, has really exploded around us. Um, the city participated in terms of public-private partnership. The city had a participation of cleaning up the power plant of moving uh, a rather large water line that cut the site in half and they had to move that uh, in order for it to be redeveloped. That was part of their price uh, cost. Uh, we did the roads, but the city paid for that. Um, and um, at the end of the day, the MDA was structured in such a way that the city got to participate in um, and profits past a certain point in the master development agreement. So once we sold the property, um, we wound up giving the city a sizable check because, um, because of how the MDA was structured. And it really turned out, I think, you, if you ask the city, they would think that it turned out to be a really good public-private venture. We certainly think it did. Gotcha. What were you, just your thoughts on some other P3s are going, going on in the city or potential P3s, I mean, do you view it overall as a good vehicle 
for kind of some of the pricier projects that need to, need to occur? I think there's a real um, appropriate, uh, P3 is an appropriate vehicle when a city has uh, some development uh, criteria that they want to apply to land that the city owns. Um, and that way they get the development community to take the risk on the property, but that the city uh, gets what they want in terms of how it gets developed. And I think so, so it can be used quite, quite well. And, you know, in that, what the city always has is that what they bring to the table is either the infrastructure around it or they bring um, the land itself, and they can sell land for a dollar because... Ultimately, if the developer is going to develop, you know, a $200 million, you know, development on city that on property the city owned, all of a sudden that property now pays property tax and sales tax and bed mm -hmm. tax, and um, so the city gets paid back tenfold uh, because before the development there wasn't any income being generated by the property that the city owned. Mm -hmm. So they win two ways. One, they get the type of development they want. They can encourage it to go the way that they envision in a long-term plan, and they wind up turning it into um, an asset for tax revenue. Yeah, it's an important point, too, I think, for people looking to develop in Austin, just realizing that, you know, basically the city, and I'm sure most cities are the same way, have, you know, certain criteria for criteria or community benefits they want to see. Austin definitely has its kind of a portfolio portfolio of those. And um, yeah, it's one of the few chances that it's one of the only times the city can really sh shape a development that way. It's private property, I mean, and you're not going outside your zoning. Right. You're free to do what you want to do, typically, right? Right. Um, unless, you're, unless you want to engage the neighborhoods a little more. Right. But it's one of the key areas that city can fully or that council, right, of a city can really uh, enact its vision. Right. And I think we're seeing that, you know, see, I think, um, see, I'm sorry, the Mueller development was a good example yeah. of that, where the old airport was. Um, right. But again, that was, you know, prime, it's prime real estate as the city continued to expand north. Um, but even with the airport itself, just how popular, that, popular that's becoming, right. the volume we're seeing increase. Um, I know there's currently a, kind of a, it's a 2040, master plan to look at that how we can how the city can fully realize just the benefits of that and that obviously those should that trickle down to our economy too that's right trickle, trickle down ripple over to our economy right and that, and i mean the miller is a good example i mean the city had 700 acres there or so from the old airport and um you know they went through a rfp process picked a massive developer catellus and had all these rules about what they wanted to see in the development and i, I suppose that catellus has really complied with all of that and so it, it's i think it's been a very successful development it, you know cities can can really they have the ability to pull some levers in terms of development fees or infrastructure or land that they have that they can then entice the type of development they want in the place they want it. And I think Austin has, you know, done a pretty good job of, of doing that and I think is going to continue to pursue that as much as they can. I don't think that they have a whole lot of the land. Certainly, you know, the Seahome track was seven acres in the middle of downtown on the lake. So, you know, they don't have mm -hmm. too much of that. But, you know, the, the water plan is another one. I mean, where the water uh, water treatment facility was next to Seahome, 
was an incredibly valuable piece of ground and the city I think got what they wanted in terms of the development there too so mm -hmm. do you see any other um, P3s on the horizon that y'all are interested in particularly you know at, today it's um, it's November 19th but yesterday the uh, Austin Independent School District you know, had a vote and they are closing down three elementary school pro elementary schools and you know obviously the, those sites are going to potentially be open now right. because they're the use is no longer there have you done any work with, with AISD in terms of this property portfolio? We, we have done work with them. We do a lot of their real estate work. But I think that's a situation where, you know, AISD, if they want to sell those properties, they it's another great example where part of their RFP or they go out for bid can be they want a certain amount of affordable housing on mm -hmm. that site. So they can encourage affordable housing, a certain amount of retail, whatever they want. So you know they have control of the land and you know land is valuable most of the school sites are pretty valuable places and they're large trunks of land uh, so they can actually control how those get developed and at the same time sell them for market price uh, which is you know, which is really good i think the county and city depending upon how it all happens uh you know has palm school over off 535 and Cesar chavez and that's a really unique historic building with a lot of land around it and so that could be a similar model to see home in terms mm -hmm. of preserve the historic building but then you can build you know commercial and the rest of it to help to pay for the historic building and that could be one that could be a p3 but i they haven't talked about that so There's i'm not really sure yeah yeah it's it's different but one of the things that that i think would be uh just lessons learned in terms of doing a P3 I've, I've been asked to talk before and I've always you know said that one of the things that people need to keep in mind is to try and program in enough flexibility to the master development agreement with the city or county or whoever um, so that it programs in flexibility if the market changes so you can change one of the difficulties we had at Seahome was that um, and the city, rightfully so, tried to structure it fairly tight so they made sure that they got what they wanted and there were milestones about when we would build and what we would build and how big we would build so that the city wouldn't be left hanging with a half-finished building like happened to Intel. That was before, I think, you came. But the um, So they tried to put as much... Um, you know, direction in the MDA as possible, but w one of the problems is if you don't if you don't have the flexibility with a large project to follow the market, then that can become an issue. In our particular case, we signed the MDA, we started our work in a certain direction in the spring of 2008, and in October of 2008, the economic system around the world kind of melted down. And so what we had planned was no longer marketable. And so we had to go in and change that through the course of getting the, the economic um, uh, system back up and running. And we had to go back to the city council. It took, you know, six, eight months to change the MDA fundamentally because of what we said we'd develop in the MDA because the market would no longer support that. And that was difficult because as so many years had passed. I mean, it was almost four years had passed. And so the city council 
that was there and inked the MDA with us was no longer the city council that we were dealing with. Mm -hmm. And so we had to re-educate the whole new city council. And that's always difficult because always people armchair quarterbacking and, you know, look at it a different way. Go, oh, well, no, let's try it this way. And, and I will say it was the Economic Development Department which had the institutional memory because they knew what the, what the negotiations were and what went on. And they pretty much tried to guide the city council into, you know, what they could ask for and what they really fundamentally couldn't because we had already signed a legal document that said certain things. Mm -hmm. So having the flexibility to respond to changing market conditions without having to go back through a political process, I think anybody considering doing an MDA, particularly one that may be, you know, may take five, six, seven years to actually come to fruition uh, is really important. Got it. John, just so before we wrap up, any updates on or any any projects you all have in the pipe you want you can talk about? Or well, the, uh, we're we're doing a office building for the county, which is kind it's kind of structured as a public private uh, venture, and that's really good. We're doing that on on Airport Boulevard, but I think the project that is really exciting is really transforming a p part of Austin that hadn't been touched is the. Uh, RBJ Center, which is 17 acres on Town Lake, uh, right on the east side of I-35 from Rainy Street. And, uh, you know, the exciting part of that is what we're doing with the three phases we're putting in place, which are going to be market uh, rate, is we're providing funds to Austin Geriatric Center, AGC, to build 250 new senior affordable apartments, renovate the tower, which is it was built in 1970 and really hadn't had much done to it since then, renovate that and have 250 more new senior affordable housing. So we're going to double the senior affordable housing uh, in downtown Austin, which is just unheard of. And, and part of that is we're building a really nice uh, mixed-use uh, market rate development around it. And so that, that one's exciting for us. We have 150,000 square foot office building. We have apartments um, and we're, you know, there's be some retail and restaurant and a park and all of that. So it's, yeah, it's really cool. We'll put us on the waiting list for the office space. I think okay. Nice a late yeah. <laughs> we will. Yeah, right. Well, uh, John, thank you for your time and always a pleasure to I'll see you in the office. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's BG podcast. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com podcast and iTunes and Google Play. Subscribe to stay current on future posts.